So she came home with all of our equipment in the car and said that okay. the caretakers decided that's it, you, you can't teach there anymore. Where you hit the one million mark. Yes. Um, what does that feel like? Oh, yeah, it's amazing. In one million pound turnover. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're, I think we're on 1.7 million this year. And, and typically um, it, a brand new franchisee that comes on board, they might take, well, they, they could take five years to get to that stage. So to do it within a month. Where's the destination? What are you uh, striving towards? I've always wanted is to make sure that I've got the work-life balance that I want with the financial rewards that allows me to do the things that I like doing. Let's meet Joe Stone. Probably one of the most unassuming people you'll ever get to know. She met her best friend at prenatal classes, even their children were born on the same day, and then they started puddle ducks together. So what do you do when you've just started your business and then the location you trade from is taken away? You start trying to build the business up as a franchise and then you hit problems with franchisees. You have trademark issues and then your best friend and your business partner is hit with a life-changing disease that means she has to learn to walk and talk again. Not only are you trying to support your best friend, you also have a company and you have your staff to look after. Today we find out what drives Joe Stone. I'm Richard Osborne and this is Drive, the small business podcast from UKBF. So you, um, you and Tracy, um, business partners, you met at antenatal, is that right? We did, uh, way back in 2001, we were both heavily pregnant with our first babies and as it happens, our babies, our first babies were both born on the same day. No um, way. My daughter was called Emma, Tracy's daughter was called Ella. Um, and they weighed exactly the same amount, so kind of immediately hit it off together from the beginning. What are the odds? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. The, uh, so, uh, so you met antenatal of something very eerie there, with children being born on the same day and so yes. closely named yeah. to each other. Yeah. And you become really good friends. Yes, we did. Yeah. We spent all of our time together. And there was another friend as well who since moved, Kylie, who since moved to. Um, Australia um, but we spent a lot of time together and, and some of the things that we really enjoyed doing was taking our babies swimming yeah. um, and the, there was just nothing out there that was a high quality swimming lesson that we were looking for so um, I think Tracy went on the very first teacher training course in the UK for teaching babies to swim yeah. um, and whilst on holiday I saw a boat called Puddle Ducks and uh, <laughs> it just struck a chord immediately and I thought wow that's that's fun fluffy and appealing um, and it's a perfect name for a, a product where kids are, are learning to swim without knowing it. They're having so much yeah. fun that you know, they're, they're learning to swim. And, and that's really was one of the things I was going to ask is because the, you're both from a blue chip sort of corporate background, is that right? So yes, that's right. So I was with Barclays Bank, I was uh, an IT project manager there. And Tracy worked for Shell, so she worked in the, in the chemical industry. So, yeah, both rising the corporate ladder, as it were, in, in blue chip companies. Yeah. And the arrival of these little babies made us think what we wanted to do next. And we wanted a challenge and uh, but be able to look after the babies in the way that we wanted to do. So, yeah, we decided that that's what we would. We saw the gap in the market for the high quality lessons. I thought that's what we're going to do. How do you make that change from being in a sort of blue chip corporate, um, I'm making assumptions, sort of well-paid environment 
to then starting um, from the ground, really, something yeah. right at the very beginning. It, it was a real daunting time. Uh, and it, it was at the time when our babies were quite small, so I'd already made the decision to, to take maternity leave, obviously. Um, and I remember finishing work um, at, at Barclays, it was two, three days before I actually had Emma. And um, I remember saying to them, well, I, it, this was in the March, I'll see you again in November. I'm going to be right. back in six months. Well, six months didn't happen. And then I extended the maternity leave. And then I took a career break of, of two years. And, and I guess that really made me, gave me the time to decide, did I really want to do this? And I, I just knew that it was the right thing to do. I could, I could see that we'd got the plans in place and, you know, it was... We had the vision that it was going to work and, and the confidence that it was. So, yeah, it was, it was really daunting to make that decision, but it felt like the right thing because we knew that we could, while we were building the business up, we could, um, we were the, there for our children at the time that we wanted to be. Rather the, than... um, you just mentioned you, you, know, you believed it was going to work, you, you'd yeah. done the plan, you had the vision. Yeah. Breaking that into the reality of anybody who started their own business quite often they've generally gone um i went from a well-paid career mm -hmm. to starting doing web design was my first thing mm -hmm. and um it sounds silly looking back on it but um we went from having heinz baked beans mm. in the cupboard to having um own brand um the low-cost supermarket mm. ones where there was more sauce than beans in the yeah. tin <laughs> scenario. These uh, sound silly things, but yeah. like what was in our cu cupboards changed. Yeah. Um, I, we'd sold the car, so we had no means of transport. Mm. Uh, so we'd, uh, my wife would push the um, pram all like about a, about a mile down the road to the nearest shops to do shopping, and you're coming mm -hmm. back with bags hanging off the um, the pram. Mm. The it's the reality uh, can sometimes hit like a brick. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess for us, because Emma had just been born, we, we were already cutting back because I was on yeah. mat leave um, and it, we didn't have the aspiration to go on nice holidays at the time. So I guess no. that's how we, we got around. We didn't need to because we've got a small baby. We were only running small cars. We didn't need anything more than that um, but yeah it, it is it is really difficult knowing that it, it was we, we knew we would be comfortable for the few months while we was on maternity leave because we made those plans and had savings while we were both earning but but longer term we didn't know that that was going to be the case and you just mm -hmm. have to go for it the saving starts to dwindle yeah, down and down yeah um, and, and it it takes time when you're running a business to start earning real money. <laughs> it so doesn't happen straight that, away. How long was that period of time for you? Um, I would say it was at least five or six years. Five uh, or six years before you could take a decent yeah, salary. Yeah. So that's a yeah. lot. Um, that's a long period of time. From it was a long period of time. My fort I was fortunate, and both of us were fortunate that our husbands were both working so yeah. the family still had income at yeah. the time um yeah it was, it was it was a big decision to make <laughs> yeah. 
really, really big decision. And because you worked all your life to get to that career, yeah. to then sort of kiss goodbye to it, as it were. <laughs> but those skills, Carol, uh, uh, very useful in sort of putting together the plan and structure for Puddle Ducks going forward. Yeah, I mean, we both use skills from our corporate careers and you, you don't realise how much you gain in from that in, in any job, whatever you're doing, that, that there's transferable skills, whether it's dealing with budgets or HR, you know, talking about performance management and all those kind of, you know, we would have both have had difficult decisions to have and, and talk to in appraisals and things like that we've done in our, our professional jobs before we, we came to Puddle Duck. So it's just natural for us that we would continue with all those things in our own business and treat people with the respect and that they deserve. And and it quite literally was you enjoyed the swimming with your children. We did. And how did you go through a period of looking for specific looking for lessons for your children to learn we did. swim? Or I mean, there, there was no baby lessons at all, and it was a, it was a chance finding of that Tracy actually found a book um, by um, his company called Birthlight, who yeah. who sent who had this book and the beautiful images of children underwater, and <laughs> and that inspired us to to take our babies underwater and and. Um, and, and couldn't find any classes, so we're, we were doing it on our own. Um, and we just we had such a, a fantastic time with all those happy smiles and lovely bonding time that you get with the children in the water. And we thought, well, we just want to share it with as many people as possible. So that's what made us launch our business and take the plunge. So, so what was the series of events? Uh, you, because you, you just mentioned you was on holiday and you saw the boat called Puddle Ducks. Yeah. So was you already at the stage of starting up around that yeah, time? Yeah, we actually, Tracy went on the first teacher training course and we, she launched the first few lessons. Um, and I, was, I went on a few months later on the teacher training course. Um, and we think we, we launched our business, called it literally baby swimming classes. <laughs> uh, we didn't have a brand or anything, um, but we were kind of doing all the soul searching as to what we might call the business. And it was that chance of seeing a boat while I was away on holiday that inspired us into the business name and we got it trademarked and you know the rest is history. So how uh, when you say uh, Tracy was doing the first lessons was that um, uh, as crude as going to some local swimming baths and renting some space there? Yes we did we, we hired a, a pool in, in Northwich which was uh. one of our first pool well it was our first pool um, and yeah went, went from there really. A proper incorporated company or like sole trader? Uh, we started off as a sole trader um, yeah. and then over time we've moved um, to a limited company with some of our other businesses with the franchising company um, and we also use um, a, a structure called an LLP, Limited yeah. Liability Partnership. Okay and when um, when you reach that sort of stage where you're setting up as a incorporated company, yeah, this is one thing that's discussed a lot on UK business forums when people are in a business partnership with somebody else and mm -hmm. sometimes things don't go as as you plan them. Mm -hmm. Did you go through the process of getting like shareholders agreement drafted or partnership agreement? And um, right from the very beginning, we've all, yeah. we always had a, a partnership agreement. Um, yeah. We didn't get solicitors involved at that point. Um, yeah. But it, it was more about 
how much time we were each going to invest into the business and I guess how much money um, as well. Um, as time went on, um, when, we, when we formed the LLP, we had solicitors involved to write the shareholder agreement for us. Um, and we, obviously when we, we launched the franchising company, which I'll come and talk yeah. about later, we had that was registered as, a, as a incorporated as a company. You just touched on registering a trademark just now. Yeah. Uh, am I right um, in sort of recalling around your trademark, some issues happened at some point during the... Uh... That's correct, <laughs> yeah. So we knew we had to trademark the, yeah. the name Puddle Ducks um, because we knew that it, we needed it for the, for the business and the brand um, in the future. Um, so we, we got it trademarked and we didn't use any solicitors. We just... Um, copied some other um, from other companies what they'd done and, yeah. and use all the, the narrative on the, the trademark application and to do that we had to we had to sign a um, it was like a, called a coexistence agreement with another company because they had a similar trademark name okay. to us it wasn't in the same field even um, so we'd signed that so that we could get our trademark um, live and and what happened probably five or six years later as we wanted to redo the brand and upgrade it and this company that we'd signed the coexistence agreement with wasn't prepared to do it and it was totally unreasonable wow. so we ended up doing a we did get some solicitors involved um and it was a kind of a david versus goliath with massive plc company that we were against to 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 get it and we did okay. so, <laughs> it, was, it was quite interesting so what was um well, I suppose I've got two questions, really. One more generally, to, you know, tell us a bit about that journey. You know, how long was it going on for? What was it like? But also, coming up against a big PLC like that, mm -hmm. that must have been really stressful as well. It, it was quite stressful because, in a nutshell, our solicitor advised us to um, ask them to... We, we basically challenged one of their trademarks, which All they right. weren't using, but I think they had plans to use it. Um, and we, he managed to get a trade-off for us to, to do it. It went on for a period of probably 18 months, two years, where, where the PLC's lawyers wouldn't speak to us. Um, it, was just, it was just so frustrating. Um, but in the end, we, we got our way. And, and at the time, we'd, we'd got franchisees as well. So the, the trademark was incredibly important to us. Yeah. We needed that trademark and, and wanted to rebrand to make it uh, look like that. <laughs> <laughs> and fantastic it does yeah. look. See, I, I, when I, I heard that, it stuck with me just sharing a story from... Um, my earlier years when I was um, running a formation agent uh, which is a company that helps people set up limited companies mm -hmm. there were two big players in the industry that um, just attacked the business and they kept attacking me for passing off an infringement of trademark and mm -hmm. it wasn't anything there but they were throwing like yeah. lawyers behind yeah. it constantly. Yeah, I mean the PLCs have got so much more yeah. money than we have. We, you know, we were, we were giving them stats about how little money we were making <laughs> and yeah. Well, my lawyers him, yeah. said to me, they're just trying to hurt you. They're yeah. just trying to drive you out of business in legal costs because yeah. I was literally just one guy working yeah. from home um, at this time and it got to the point where I said to my solicitor, if this doesn't go away soon, I'm not going to be able to afford to pay your bill. Mm. 
and uh, he turned around and he said, um, can I just uh, take off the gloves and go, and go for it? Mm -hmm. And I was like, do whatever. Yeah. Uh, and then he countersued them mm. on my behalf, like the solicitor did. Mm. And I wish I could remember what the piece of, but there's a piece of legislation for abusing your trademark unreasonably. Yes. And it, it sounds similar to the, the that's why That's that why it resonated, in. because yeah. I think that's how he yeah. got them to go away. Mm. And then they agreed to settle out of court for a £50 payment. <laughs> and his argument was they're only just doing that just to rub salt into the wound and as mm. an in, just to show you that they this is nothing to them mm. uh, and the say reading your David and Goliath yeah. experience it's out of order really yes re yes I think they thought we were just two young mums working around a kitchen table and we got aspirations to Little be so know. much bigger than that yeah <laughs> the so that dealt you got past that part mm -hmm. there was a um but if we sort of go back to the early days you you had your own pool if i remember correctly if i understand correctly or use um, of a pool we we had use of a pool yes um, it was our it was our only pool at the time in the yeah. in the very early days and our whole business was really at this one pool yeah. and I, I remember tracy coming back from teaching that day because we used to share the child minding of each other so i would have the four children while she went to teach and then vice versa when i went to teach so she came home with all of our equipment in the car and said that okay. the caretakers decided that's it, you, you can't teach there anymore with no notice at all. And, you know, wow. we're there sat writing all the checks to probably, I don't know, we perhaps had about 90 customers or so at the time. But it, it felt enough, a big enough business to, to think, oh, we, we've got this far and, and to write all the, re, all the returns. But as it happens, we ended up getting another pool um, these things are meant for a reason um we had a, a much much more pool hire available to us at this new pool and it meant we could expand our business even more so it's kind of a blessing in disguise really so what when you when you're at that point the um that's the because i didn't know much about this part here yeah the you where you're running your business, I suppose it's the equivalent of um, somebody like you've got an office or a factory. It was like, it was like a school, school swimming pool, yeah. and they suddenly decided the caretaker didn't want to deal with with the chemicals anymore. So that was it. <laughs> yeah. So how did you approach that at that point? So if you're the place where you're conducting or doing your business is taken away with no notice, you just mentioned there you're having to write checks out repay it your was at the time back. when everybody was yeah everybody yeah. paid by checks we were, yeah. i remember sitting at the kitchen table trying to write the checks to post out to all the customers um fortunately um not many of them ended up being cash because it, it took us a, a week or two to find another pool um yeah. and actually by us going in this other pool meant that they could open you all year round which meant that yeah we ended up with with lots more opportunity to teach the lessons and that's where things started to sort of Yes. go on an upward trajectory from Absolutely. that point Absolutely, yeah. It wasn't long after that that we took a little bit of a step back and um, made sure that we got all the teachers to teach for us so that we could then focus on growing the business because we could see that the, the natural choice of gr for growth for us was franchising because we were yeah. good at, well, really detailed at writing all of our processes, reviewing them, seeing what worked, what didn't, what needed to be improved. Um, but Would also you say that was probably a lot to do with your background quite possibly yeah, yeah. my i was a, a maths graduate um yeah. so very process driven 
um, and Tracy was a chemical engineering graduate. So yeah, very process driven with, with what we'd done in academia, I suppose. And, and I, I, yeah, with my computer programming as well, it was all structured. Um, so as long as it, we knew we'd got all the processes defined and, and written down, as well as we thought they were, um, but local relationships as well were really important. So to have other franchisees doing the same as what we were doing across the country was the, the natural choice for us. When you, um, was it a nat when you say natural choice, was it a choice that you came to after running for a few years or was it always the plan? Yeah, um, we all, it was always the plan to yeah. have a, a large scalable business. Um, I guess we didn't know from the very beginning how we might do that. We thought at one point we might have big centres um, across the UK and they, they would be um, run by our teams. But it, it was those local relationships that we decided it was much better for a franchisee to have those those relationships and, and build a business that way. Funnily enough, in during the pandemic, we did um, create our, or build our own pool what we talked about sort of 15, 20 years ago, um, but that, that's kind of the next stage of the business. Okay. Um, so when you made the decision to move into franchising, mm -hmm. uh, you, you just mentioned there that you documented your processes of, yeah. of how you were delivering and basically how a franchisee you want them to operate yeah, day yeah, to day. Yeah. How did you approach the sort of testing the franchise model? So, so we'd worked with some uh, experts, some consultants yeah. along the way, probably in around about year um, four, three or four of our business. So we'd been running it locally. Yeah. Um, and I think I was teaching at the time um, and one of our customers came up to us and said, um, I'd like to be your pilot franchisee. So. Uh, unfortunately, she was next very close to us geographically. Um, so as well as our, our original franchise, which we still own and use as a test bed, because that's really important. Um, our first franchise was our pilot. And then uh, I think that was in about 2005, 2006. And then from 2007 and 2008 was kind of our, the launch of our real business with two real franchisees that came on board. Yeah. Um, and as that, was there a point in time as you run your pilot franchise and the next couple, where you um, sort of thought, "We're on. This is this is the right. This is what we're doing now. This is this is." Yeah, I mean the, right. the launch of the the first the two in two thousand and seven, I think it was, and and actually they're both still franchisees with us today. So, yeah. um, very successful. Um, uh, we we knew once we got those on board that that was the way to go. We we had a few teething issues with our first franchisee who was the pilot, and I think that's that's quite typical. Yeah. Um, so just, she, she just had, operational kind of teething issues, or like um, well, she wasn't putting the she didn't she was running it alongside another job, another right. part time job of a part time job which was thirty two hours a week or something, and and she just couldn't couldn't run both. Okay. The um, when we spoke before today, one of the things you mentioned was about um, sort of refer having an issue with franchises. Is this the franchise you're referring to? Yeah, that's that's yeah. one of a, a couple of franchisees along the way. Because when you've got a, a network of franchisees, 
Um, so we, at the moment we've got about 33 of them. If one of them is, is not operating according to the brand, it, it damages all the rest of them. So you have to make sure that you deal with that in the, in the most, most professional and, and way possible to make sure that they're not damaging the brand anymore. Um, which, so that's been a very stressful time. What is, um, what is the most professional and correct way? So if you're, um, not if you are, I would if anybody listening to this, yeah. thinking of franchising their business, the thought of franchising a business, I personally find quite scary in the sense of, I know what my values are. Mm -hmm. I know what, um, how I want, you know, the business, you know, personal and business brand to be reflected. I know what, what mm -hmm. I want people to think of me. I want, I want people to see our business and trust it mm -hmm. and know what they're going to get. And the thought of getting other people around the country that could be miles away, mm -hmm. delivering that almost as, as their own little businesses. Yeah. Um, I find worrying. So what is yeah. your advice around that? Um, well, make sure that you've got a really strong legal um, agreement behind it all, backing everything up. Um, so that's the, the, last, the, the first thing that you need in place in case you need to use it. Um, but, but secondly, um, we've just made sure that we've documented everything in all sorts of ways. So you, you talk about values. Values is really, really important to us. Um, and we, in oh, it would have been probably about 2009, I think, we, we, did, we sent a survey out to all of our franchisees and, and the teachers at the time and asked them, what is it that um, you think about working for Puddle Ducks? How do you feel about it? And, and, and what do you think the values are? And unfortunately, they came back with the same words as what we wanted to, to use. Um, mm -hmm. So it very much came from the network, but driven by us, so um, they very nicely fit in, into an acronym for us. So it's about experts, exceeding expectations, being professional, being enterprising, respecting each other, trusting each other and being very supportive. And those values just run throughout our network. We, we, we see them, we, we use them to recruit against. Um, and you see them in the way we run our business and the, the, the way our classes are run as well. So they're, they're everywhere. Um, and, and if somebody isn't reflecting that, you mentioned yes. you have your contracts. Yes. I'm reading between the lines here that literally those contracts must have a get out kind of process that either there they yes. pull their socks up. Yes. And yes. I mean, it's very much it, it's a two way conversation and, and franchising. It, it, we're, we're not a successful business without our franchisees and, and vice versa. So it's, it's very, um, you rely on each other. Um, but yeah, if somebody is not showing those brand values in whatever way, um, we obviously talk to them and, and find a way of remedying it and giving plenty of time to, for that to happen. Um, but if it's not remedied, then um, we, we've got the ability to be able to sell that business on to a, a new party to protect the brand and so started in 2002 yeah uh, ran for a few years then moved into franchising yeah now um tracy did a, an interview for uk business forums back into about 2016 yeah sort of time yeah um and that um sort of paints a picture lit uh puddle ducks 
skyrocketing, literally going up and yeah, up. So, yeah. um, just to reminisce, so what were those um, sort of six, seven or so years really like during that time? Um, we, we made sure that, that would, would, would have been the time when we recruited quite heavily in, we call our head office Duck HQ, um, <laughs> but that would have been the time that we really recruited those Sounds quackers. <laughs> I can't believe I said that. <laughs> Um, but, but that would be the time that we brought a lot of staff on board who were experts in their own area. So it'd be marketing, shops, shop sales, retail, um, accountancy, every area that you need to run a business. So it meant that Tracy and I were... went e-commerce as well, if I... Sorry? You went on online retail yes, as well, yeah. yeah online yeah. retail, yeah. Yeah, we sell quite a lot of these ducks. <laughs> And nappies and things like that but um yeah so um it would have been the time that we were building building everything ready to grow again so um 20 in 2017 that's when we we launched a a, a massive it project which is some bespoke software which is what all our franchisees need and that took a number of years to develop mm -hmm. with the developers and test and, and and it links with our website and everything but that again during those up to the 2016 would have been time that we spent just making sure that all the building blocks were there ready to expand and get on to the next stage and um, there's one particular milestone mentioned in that uh, previous interview where you hit the one million mark yes um what does that feel like oh yeah it's amazing in yeah. one million pound turnover yeah, yeah. We're, we're i think we're on 1.7 million this year so yeah. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's a fantastic mark. It's, it's like it's just one of those things that everybody who starts their business, yeah, um, yeah. who are looking to grow, it's, it's that one million mark. Just is that magic number. Everybody, yeah, yeah. Sort of everybody remembers. Yeah, and it, and if you include all the revenue from all the franchisees as well, I think we're about thirteen million across nice. the UK in total. So yeah, it feels good. That does. <laughs> That's very good. Yeah. The so you, you launched the um, this platform. To support all your franchisees. Yeah. The, in fact, before moving on from there, how important as a franchisor do you see it is in your role to do in, put in investments like that to support your franchisees? Um, we 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 do things as we're we're a member of the British Franchise Association, which is it, it's all about ethical franchising. And an ethical franchising is all about making sure that it's fair for the franchisees and they're given the absolute very best platform and to, so that they can get the, the best success and stand out from the crowd. Mm -hmm. So our investment just never stops. So we're always trying to find new ways and better ways of doing things, whether it's using IT, like the bespoke software, which, which we call Shark. Um, we've got all sorts of business planning tools that use... Google Sheets and, and the latest, we, we have connections into our um, Zero software, which is all the bookkeeping stuff. So it, we, we're always trying to make things better. And that's incredibly important for our franchisees because they're always wanting to stand out from their brand to stand out from the rest of their competitors. So incredibly yeah. important. The, um, uh, it's following on from that, um, the it can be a bit of a minefield if somebody's looking at setting up their own, going into business themselves and they're deciding, 
the franchise route is the right route for me. Yeah. For whatever reasons, the um, they feel that that is the route. What um, I want to use the word checks, but I don't feel like that's the right word to use. Mm -hmm. But what? But I'll stick with it. What sort of checks could somebody do to make sure they're going to be working with a franchise um, that? does have all those ethical standards and yeah, fair processes. Um, so, so working with a, an organisation that's that's part of the British Franchise Association would be a good start because they will only let people be in their organisation. They've had all of our legal agreements checked over by lawyers and everything, so there has to be a certain standard that you meet. So that's definitely one thing to do. Um, there's a lots of awards and things that the British Franchise Association do each year, which we've regularly been award winners of. Um, and there's other organisations, uh, EWIF is another one, encouraging women into franchising, um, which again, highlights good brands um, by awards. Uh, there's also another company called Workbus which um, do an independent survey. Um, we have our, our survey done annually um, and it asks the franchisees lots and lots of questions about how the franchisor works with them. So it's completely independent um, and um, if you achieve above average in all of the scores, in all of the five categories, you get what's called a five-star franchisee satisfaction. Um, and that's something that we've achieved every year for the last 10 years since it started. So again, that's another way of being yeah. quite sure that your franchisor is ethical and doing things in the right way. Okay. Um, and you've won a lot of awards. Yes. So it's <laughs> yeah, quite a few, quite it takes lucky. a while to scroll through yeah. on your website. <laughs> uh, which one are you most proud of? Um, I guess personally, um, I was the overall w winner of the uh, EWIF Women in Franchising in 2019, so that was a very exciting moment. Um, as far as the business is concerned, obviously we've had the, the 10 years of the Workbus franchisee satisfaction, which is brilliant. Um, and I, we've just been up for a Franchisor of the Year award and we're finalists for it with the British Franchise Association and that's the first time we've had that. Um, so, yeah, I think the award ceremony is later on this month. So, oh, good fingers luck. crossed. Good luck. The, um, so, you went, um, had that great growth, you hit the one million mark. Yeah. Um, and, but then Tracy uh, became ill. She did. Um, overnight, um, she became very ill um, and then ended up in hospital. Um, yeah, she, she, so going from being a, a very active person, she couldn't walk, couldn't eat, couldn't do talk or do anything for herself for a, a long while. Um, and she ended up being in the hospital. She stayed in hospital for three or four months um, and gradually managed to learn to talk and walk again um, and spent probably the next 18 months, that was in 2016, um, and spent probably the next two years or so um, trying to, to get back into the, the business. Um, but it, it was quite difficult and frustrating for her because she wasn't able to do things in the same way as what, what she had done in the past. So it's a very, very difficult time for, for, for both of us. Can I ask what happened? Um, I'm making an assumption a stroke, but... It, it was kind of a stroke, but it wasn't a stroke. Um, it was a, a, a brain, um, had a, um, was being attacked by 
itself somehow. Okay. Um, so um, it was a yeah, type of encephalitis, I think, if okay. that's how you pronounce it. Um, so yeah, it left her with neurological issues in terms of um, yeah, having to learn, teach her brain how to do things again which you know she has been able to do but um it, it's it's different to how it was before so um yeah so in 2019 we we took the decision that and it was a really difficult one to make mm. that um that tracy would take step down from working in, uh, operationally in the business so we uh, we set up a board invited two other board members onto the board um, alongside myself and Tracy um, and so so Tracy now works on the board um, but doesn't work on a on a day-to-day -day basis. There's so many questions around that so I'll try and <laughs> yeah. the, the um, going to the very sort of start of uh, when that hit yeah um, You've both you've, you've gone into this business together as friends together. Yeah. Um, it's one thing to have a work colleague or a work colleague you're close to, you've worked mm -hmm. with a number of years, um, be taken so so very ill, but also to be a you know a really good friend. Yeah. Um, how did that affect you? Um, it was it was a really really tough time, really tough time. Um, I, I was making sure that the business was keeping running. Um, I was also driving up to the hospital, which was probably an hour or so away from me. I was helping making food for her um, at the top when she started eating again um, and helping her eat it. Um, it, it that, that's the way it was. Um, and yeah, it, it, from going from making all the decisions together and sending hundreds of text messages each week to each other to not being able to speak, let alone text message, was just really a shock to the system. Really, because it, yeah, it just happened overnight. Um, so fortunately, we'd we'd already we'd made plans, um, so we knew what the business was doing over the next few months and, and years. We'd we'd got. A team behind us, um, so sure that they had to step up as well. We took on a few new team members um, to to help us get done what needed doing. Um, yeah, it was a really really tough time um, trying to support Tracy and uh, and you know I, I spent a lot of time with her husband driving up and to and from the hospital and and I, and I helped take her children to the swimming baths um, and. Yeah, move them around. And and you got through that, you yeah. obviously, because you're here. Mm -hmm. um, the bit where you then looked at creating the board in the business, mm. the that's sometimes as any any business owner, you you have to make decisions with your heart sometimes, and sometimes you have to make decisions with your head or find a balance between mm. the two. Um, the that in itself you just said, would have been a very difficult i can only imagine difficult decision to make mm -hmm. um but you, you you've built up this business and you you know both wanting this business to continue to grow so restructuring the management infrastructure and putting mm -hmm. a board in place uh 
I can only imagine would have been a bit of a sort of a tug on the heart decision to make as well. Very, very difficult. Um, we, we both knew that um, we had to find a way forward to, to, that was going to work for everybody. Um, and fortunately, we've got a, Ali Beckman, who's come on board as one of the directors. Um, she's been with us pretty much since day one. So she was the natural choice to have with us as the as a director, um, and you know if you cut her in half, you'd see her, you'd see puddle ducks <laughs> through her. She's uh, she's puddle ducks through and through. And then there was a, a colleague who I'd met on one of these kind of professional development courses that I'd done probably probably about 2010, 2011 time, um, and we'd, I'd kept in touch with her. So and she'd recently sold a business, so it was she was the natural to choice to have on as a a non-exec person on the board so and Tracy's on the board and Tracy's well. on the board as well yeah so how how has the business management process changed having a board to how it was before um everything's a lot more formalized I suppose um and that, bef before before Tracy was ill we had our own areas of expertise you know I was more finance and Tracy was perhaps more um, she worked a lot on the in the beginning on the, the program for, um, for for franchisees and, and teaching so I guess she she was kind of the ideas person I was a bit more of the implementer and, and finance but we hadn't those but we crossed over and those roles hadn't been formally defined so so, so it forced us with Tracy's illness to put formal roles in place. So um, uh, when we set the board up, um, I became the managing director. Um, and then we've got a technical director, Ali Beckman, who deals with all the swimming side of things. And then I, I guess Tracy and, um, and, and Gillian are the sort of executive, non-executive directors. Um, the, and I'm almost scared to ask next because from the outside, obviously Tracy's illness hitting um, and going through all that for a few years, then restructuring the company and having that difficult decision to make in 2019, mm -hmm. then 2020 hits. You must <laughs> yes. have felt like it was just non-stop. Yes, yes. So, yeah, we literally set up the board. I think the first meeting was like November 2019. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, February 2020 hit um, with um, the virus coming yeah. on board. And I think March the... Whatever it was, we, we had to make the really difficult decision a few days before lockdown was announced that we would suspend classes. Um, so, yeah. In the kind of business year. that you're in, that was pretty much a cut off all, oh, absolutely. all revenue. Yes, the, yeah. I think the revenue that year was a fraction of a percentage compared to what we normally had. Yeah, yeah. down to yeah, so, a few hundred um, thousand. The You did two things, really. I mean, mm -hmm. you did what any normal person would do and spend three quarters of a million pound investment during the <laughs> pandemic. Yeah. So please tell us about that. Yeah. But, um, but alongside doing that, um, how did you structure and cope th through those effectively that period of time where your revenues, you know, you, you can't yeah. do you know, public swim. Yeah, well, if, if I touch on the second thing first, which was, um, it, it was fantastic that the government gave us the furlough scheme because I don't think we'd be where we are today without it. 
um, we we had a very small team in place. We had myself and the te technical director, Ali Beckman, and then we had um, a finance person and a marketing person um, because we realised that marketing was important to communicate with our customers who, you know, basically have paid for these lessons up front and are leaving their money with us um, during the pandemic. So they, it was really important that we got all of our messaging right. So, yeah, and, and our marketing person kept in touch with um, with newsletters and activities for our customers. Um, but between us, the rest of us were having to do the jobs of everybody um, and and work out how we were going to relaunch the lessons um, because the guidance was quite slow in coming out, obviously from the government, because they didn't know what was going on either. So I think it was July when the guidance came out that swimming pools could start opening. Um, and then it put, took us two or three weeks to understand that guidance and put all our processes in place so that I think the first lessons started happening again in the September time. So literally, we, not only were we the, the team that was left, we had to do what everybody would normally do, but all these new things about yeah. risk assessments <laughs> and things around the, the virus. So, yeah, it was an interesting time. Um, so having all that to deal with, we, we also... Um, yeah, we, we invested £750,000 into the, the pool in Northwich, which we, we'd got a, like a, there was, the building was just a shell um, when we'd signed the agreements in February 2020. So just <laughs> pause there for a moment. Yeah. You signed the agreements, must have been literally just a weeks or so, a couple yes, of weeks before. It was, before um, lockdown. Good, yeah. Okay. Um, so that, we, we were... <laughs> It's like, oh my God, <laughs> what's going on? Were go? you literally trying to find ways to get out of it? No, fortunately, um, because of lockdown, nothing could be done. And uh, the building was leased to us by Cheshire West Council. And actually, they were really good. Um, and they just let us delay starting. So I think we started the build around about um, September of 2020, when, uh -huh. when building work was allowed to begin again. Um, so, yeah, basically they allowed us to sort of put it on hold for about six months, which was okay. brilliant. And, and what is that investment for? Um, yeah, so it's for a swimming pool, a uh, bespoke swimming pool, to make sure that really it's, it's a lot of the challenges that our franchisees have is having enough pool time to be able to grow their business in a sustainable way. So the, instead of relying on other pool owners, if they've got their own pool, they can, they've can they got all that stability there and they can grow um, to fill as many lessons as they, they can in, in that pool. And it, I guess it kind of brings up the standards of the pool facilities that we use to the high standards of our lessons. Um, so the idea is that, that we've produced that pool, built it um, in the same way we have done with all of our other, other franchising things, that we prove it prove the model it works um, so that we can then document it which we've we've done and uh, keep on doing so that um, it's paving the way for franchisees to sort of do the same into the future so when you say do the same is this um, you're testing building something that then that the franchisees you've got a template that if they wanted to do that in their area yes. they could yes yeah. okay. yes so we've Prior to us doing it, there were already two or three franchisees in our network that had done it themselves, um, which was very exciting for our network. Um, and I think we've got four or five franchisees who are interested in sort of doing the initial pilot with us to us helping them to, to, to build their own pools so that they can run their lessons 
more locally or working with finance companies and people <laughs> like that to help us along the way. The um, During from 2016 to 2021-ish mm -hmm. sort of time, that five years, you've had a pretty horrendous time there. Uh, yeah, I guess you have. We have um, looking back. <laughs> the coming out of that there now, mm -hmm. what where are you now and what's the future looking like? Um, I think the future looks really promising. Um, we've, we've got this pool build that we've done in Northwich, um, proven the model. So I think we launched it in August of 2021 um, and within less than a month we had about 800 weekly customers swimming there. And, and typically um, a brand new franchisee that comes on board, they might take well, they, they could take five years to get to that stage. So to do it within a month is just amazing. Um, so, yes, we'd, we'd want to bring more franchisees on. Potentially in the future, we might bring them on just with a pool build um, so that they run classes just from that, that pool building. Um, but we're also taking on franchisees in the same way as we always have done, where they, they have a, a geographical area where they can hire pools to their heart's content. Okay. Um and where's the where's the destination? What are you uh, striving towards? Um, I, well, our, our vision is that we want to be the number one choice for swimming lessons in the UK. I think we're probably sitting at about number two in terms of customer numbers at the mm. moment. Um, and to achieve that goal, we want all of our franchisees to have a managed or owned pool in each of their territories. So that's that's our ambition. Okay, and what about for you? For me, um, oh, I don't know, at some point, I'm sure I will take a step back and, and do more exercise if that's possible. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what, um, what drives you um, and makes you, you know, makes you get up in the morning and carry on when things are tough? Yeah. What is your motivation? Um, it's making sure that I've got everything in place for the franchisees to, to achieve their successes. And by them achieving their successes, we achieve our success as well. Um, I'm, I'm a driven, quite a driven person. So if I say I'm going to do something, I do it. Um, so you know, make sure that I do my exercise every day. If I'm going for a run, I go, if I'm going for a run, I go for a run, whether it's raining, hailing, snowing, whatever, I, I will go and do it. And I think that it's the same in, in business life as well. You know, we were going to build a pool and we did build a pool. Um, so yeah, I'm quite driven in, and, and, and I will always have these goals that set out as to, to what's, what's next, the, the pool build being one of them. Trying to get underneath the skin of that little bit where you say if the um, franchisees uh, do well, you do well. Mm -hmm. What is it about that doing well? What is it that gives you that extra edge of determination? Uh, what I suppose what I'm saying, what are you looking for from the do well bit? Um, well, for the, I guess what I, I've always wanted is to make sure that I've got the work-life balance that I want with the financial rewards that allows me to do the things that I like doing. So I like doing travelling, I like going on holidays, I like spending time with my family. Um, 
and I can do that because the earnings potential is, is there and, and similarly for the franchisees so that they're looking typically the franchisees that come on board they're professional women who are looking for a challenge but that they're looking not only for the financial rewards but they're also looking for the I guess the feel-good factor of, of giving children that that skill and that life skill that they they need um, our mission is that we we want at Puddle Ducks we want every child to to enjoy the water to swim be- sorry to swim beautifully to respect the water and and be uh, great at swimming and and that's why our standards are, are so high and our approach is unique. Last sort of three little questions. Mm-hmm. Well, it's one question, three answers. <laughs> the um, if you was um, sat in front of a somebody looking at taking a step into running their own business mm-hmm. what three pieces of advice would you give them um well i'd definitely do a really solid business plan with some numbers in it and spreadsheets yeah. and make your mistakes on paper yeah. rather than in real life um make sure that you've got a team throughout uh, surrounding you so that's the support team that you've got at work and outside of work so my husband's always been very, very supportive of what's gone on. So, yeah, having that support network is really important. Um, I guess getting the expertise where you need it. Um, there's a certain amount of things that you can do yourself, um, but sometimes you need to get that expertise in and it's worth paying for it. Um, yeah. Even though it, it seems expensive at the time, it, if you don't, it comes back to bite you. Like <laughs> we've found out. <laughs> Very wise advice. Yeah. And then lastly, how would you like to be remembered? Oh, that's a, a tricky one. Um, as a nice person, but that's that's not <laughs> that's rubbish. You can't say that, can <laughs> you? You've just said it. Yeah. <laughs> as somebody who's enabled lots of people to get out of life what they want to yeah yeah that's very good thank you joe for sharing your story thank you very much it's a pleasure